Hello and welcome to the Chicana Code Switchers podcast. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicana scholar practitioners in higher education. Each episode, we discuss insights, tips, and resources for students and practitioners in higher education with a focus on social justice and platicas. With that being said, let's start this episode. Welcome, everyone. This is a new episode of Chicana Code Switchers, and this week we have Nikki Fraser, uh, who pronounces she, her. Uh, guest uh, is a mom, a first-generation post-sec a student, Indigenous advocate. Nikki Fraser is an Indigenous advocate and a proud mom of two from the Sakikmik. 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 Yes, my bad. Um, <laughs> Nikki Fraser is an Indigenous advocate and proud mom of two from the Sakikmik Nation, located in the interior of British Columbia. Nikki was elected as the BC Native Women's Association Youth Representative in 2015-2017 and was a nation's youth representative for the Native Women's Association of Canada in 2016-2017. Nikki was used, has used her platform to advocate for young Indigenous women and girls by participating in meetings, conferences, and gatherings in communities across Canada, United States of America, and Central America. Recognized by her work, with the Indigenous communities, Nikki was nominated for Young Leaders for the Sustainable Development Goals to the United Nations Youth Envoy in 2016 and was one of the 17 selected among 18,000 nominations. In 2018, she was invited to attend and speak at the Commonwealth Youth Forum within the Commonwealth Heads of Government Meeting as part of the Equality and Inclusion Panel. Throughout her volunteer work, Nikki's dedication and achievement has been acknowledged on multiple platforms, including GreenBiz 30 Under 30, the 2017 CBC Young Indigenous Women on the Rise, and most recently, the 2018 Top 10 Indigenous Influencers named by the Government of Canada. Nikki is currently enrolled in Thompson Rivers University, pursuing her BA in Sociology and Political Science, with the plans to go to law school. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, it's weird hearing that sometimes. It's been a, a while to hear that bio. Uh, I used pre-COVID, I used to do a lot of uh, speaking engagements. So I, I was quite used to hearing that. It's been a long time to hear that bio. And today's my 30th birthday. And I reflect back on um, all of that, like what I've uh, I'm proud of myself and I feel like as Indigenous people we're, we're taught to be very humble of, and, uh, and just let our work speak for ourselves, and uh, don't talk about it as much and so when you're asked to write a bio about yourself you kind of it's not the great I feel like my own bio when I write it myself it's not the greatest so uh, to hear it it's a, it's a good reminder of uh, how far I've come and how far I want to definitely go so thank you for that beautiful introduction and I'm so honored and, and grateful to be able to participate in this conversation with you guys. Yeah uh, thank you Nikki uh, for joining us and for um, have you know willing to share more about your story and your journey. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the first question would be for our audience just like how did you hear about us and how did we get, you know, how did we meet, quote unquote? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm, 
I love um, my one of my favorite platforms on uh, social media platforms is Instagram. And I feel like it's just a really great uh, space where um, people are celebrating and sharing their life and uh, and and especially a, a platform for Indigenous people, you get to really see highlights of what Indigenous people are doing. And so that's how I stumbled across your guys' uh, page. And I immediately followed and started listening to your podcast. And and uh, when we go through our, our, you know, we're sitting at home and we're scrolling and I happened to, I pressed on your guys' profile again and, and seen your guys' uh, bio on education in your uh Instagram profile and I immediately was like hey I've been wanting to have this conversation forever especially when it comes to indigenous uh, representation in the academic world um, I do I have unfollowed a lot of um, social media profiles that make me question myself and make like my worth and my beauty and my identity and so I was like well what what makes me feel good about myself and and what makes me feel good is that I'm in school and I'm learning and I have kids I'm indigenous so I'm going to start following people like that and so when I seen your guys's profile it makes me feel good it makes me feel good to be a part of a, such a beautiful community and and so when I seen your guys's uh, request, I was like, this is the kind of conversation I want to have. This is what I, I it's going to uh, spark some ideas and maybe some more collaborations on highlighting Indigenous people who are in academia or want to be in academia or um, in the middle or in between, like whether they're between undergrad or grad. So yeah, that's definitely what brought me to you guys. And I'm grateful that you guys accepted my offer. And we're so happy that you reached out because this is a conversation that I think um, <clears throat> is missing in a lot of our episodes. I mean, both of us have been, you know, there's like similarities in terms of the journeys of all of us, like doing a lot of volunteer work, a lot of community work, yet it, it's like once you read the bio, you're like, wow, I actually have done a ton, except it hasn't been recognized a lot in academia or it doesn't, it doesn't place the same as value because you know, it's a lot more of the superficial aesthetic part where have you had the right GPA? Do you have the right resources? Do you have this? Um, and once you're in between all of that stuff, um, you realize how much you lack in or you feel quote unquote lack in. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm really like once, you know, just in your bio alone, you have done a lot of projects and community work that have made a huge impact that you know, and a lot of academics, I can't say the same thing that I've met a bunch of PhD with all these theories and stuff like that, but there hasn't been really any tangible things done that could immediately help our communities. And so tell us about your journey and how you decided to pursue a bachelor's of arts in sociology and political science. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories. Uh, I think like a part of my life journey, it, it, um, I never sought out to be an advocate or an activist. Like it just, like I never thought, like I just, as an indigenous person, I think that's just something you're brought up to like stand up for yourself and I, and to stand up for your people and to stand up for others, right? So I guess that's being an advocate. You're born an advocate, <laughs> but the actual physical grassroots activism and being in there, I never thought I would uh, be, able to be a part of that. I thought I would be, I always was a supporter, but I never thought I would be 
able to hold a space and a platform to be able to bring more voices to the conversation. And so when I was about 25, 20, 30, yeah, in my like mid 25, 26, I went to a meeting with BC Native Women's Association here in Kamloops and they were having their annual meeting to vote new members onto the board. And my friend, my one of my best friends, Gail, who is like phenomenal, smart, super organized, can like just amazing, like individual. And she's like, I'm gonna run for secretary for this position. And I was like, oh my God, you'll do a good job. Like you're you're great. Like, and it's all volunteer. Everything that I've done has been volunteer. Uh, and so it was a volunteer position. I was like, you'll do great. And she's like, but I, I really would love your support if you can come and, and vote for me at this meeting. And, I was like, great, I will. And um, so my my dad and my sister were here, my late sister, I recently, she just recently passed away in December, but they were here and we're having a barbecue. And then I was like, oh my God, what time is it? And then I was already late for the meeting and I booked it to the meeting and I, I made it in time for the voting aspect. And then I was sitting in the, this really small room with about maybe 30 to 50 indigenous women. It was really cram packed. And there was this at one table with some chairs and our elders were sitting there. There was a lady, an indigenous woman at the front with one of those flip charts with, with positions written on there. And we're getting through the list and at the very bottom of the list was the youth representative position. And my friend's position was in the middle. So I had some time to reflect. And so I'm looking at that, I'm looking at all these women and I was like, this is amazing. I, want, I just loved being in that room. And if that meant just being in that room to learn and engage and be a part of something, I wanted to be a part of that. But I went back and forth with myself, you know, self-doubt, like, do I, can I really do this? Would they really think I'm capable of doing this? And I, while all this is happening and people are voting and, uh, and people are putting their names forward for certain positions like president, vice president, <clears throat> uh, treasurer, secretary, elder rep, all these positions, right? And, and as they're doing their nomination speech, accepting their nomination, then doing their speeches, I'm in my head going back and forth, like, should I do this? Should I not? No, 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 you shouldn't do this. No, like their self-doubt was growing and growing bigger and bigger. And I'm in the back of the room. And so... My comes to my friend's position, Gail, and and uh, Gail's Gail was the only one who went who was nominated for a position, so she won by acclamation. Like I didn't even need to be there, and so I was like, oh wow! And I don't know if this is like fate or destiny, but I showed up and I didn't say I wasn't talking to anybody. And there's two elders beside me, uh, Edith and Roberta, and the youth position came up. And then the one elder, Edith, kind of bumped me on the arm and I just looked at her and I smiled. And then the other elder looked at me, uh, Roberta, and I smiled and they just kind of, Edith's like, I nominate Nikki Fraser and, and Roberta's like, I'll second that. They must have felt my energy of being like, can I do this? Can I not? And those two people planted a seed that I didn't know that they planted. I'm going to get emotional talking about it. Um, you know, being an Indigenous woman growing up and constantly living in a stereotype of being like um, 
I don't know if you guys know what that what that feeling is, but uh, just feeling like you're not enough and you're not capable of doing it. So, and they seen something in me and I was so thankful. And so I did my speech and I just didn't throw my name in the hat just because I wanted to, just to prove anything. I definitely had um, intentions and my intentions were coming from a place of being like um, hurt and frustrated with the reality that young indigenous women were going through in Canada. So I wanted to, even if my little voice was just to type out letters or print out something and plan events and sit in the background, I was totally fine with that. I just wanted to be a part of it. And so my uh, nomination speech was, I was crying, of course, and I was like, couldn't speak. I was trembling. And I remember saying, well, I don't, I just recently lost a cousin. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And uh, there was a, a huge uh, a cry out here in Canada for decades and decades. And uh, I just recently lost my cousin in 2014, Samantha Paul, and she was missing for a while. And then some of her remains were found in and her case is still unsolved. So there's no whether or not she was murdered. It's just unsolved right now. There's just not enough evidence to figure out her case. So <clears throat> we, our family just experienced that. And then years before that, my family experienced it again, like before Samantha, my auntie Dorothy went missing downtown east side Vancouver and still hasn't been found. And so my family has been impacted by this tragedy and being an Indigenous woman, it could have easily been me and then my cousin, who was only a few years older than me. And so that really like sank in. And at the time my cousin went missing, there was um, another, in, another person that went missing and he was non-Indigenous. And, and it was in Kamloops. And, <laughs> and the support like I, I'm so glad his family got this support because it's so beautiful to see a community gather together to help somebody find their son, to help somebody find their loved one, to help somebody to feel supported, you know. But I couldn't, I, I couldn't help but see the black and white between my family and his family and the cry for help that we were asking and the cry for help and they just people just poured and even indigenous people like we know that how, how like we helped like my family even supported that family as well too and so it was just i didn't i just didn't see that as like fair and that wasn't justice so i wanted to get involved and so i i that was my nomination speech basically in a nutshell saying this is what's happening i don't agree with it uh my family needs support and i want to know how i could uh, help other families like mine that need that support. So that was my nomination speech. And there was another lady that, another young woman who was, <clears throat> who put her name forward as well. And I ended up winning the nomination and it kind of went from there and it just kind of snowballed into this, this world that I never even thought I would have ever dreamed for myself. And uh, this sense of like, 
the more that I've done, the more that I had to do and the more people I wanted to include. And so that's what really led me to my academics and what you said about uh, credentials and the, the values those credentials bring. Um, unfortunately, like that's, I hate to say it, but like, I felt that roadblock in my, in my, um, my advocating uh, passion to, to support our people. I feel like just for myself in general, I was like, I want to be able to do more for my people. How can I do that? How can I work for them? And, and I just was put on roadblocks everywhere just because I was, I'm a high school dropout. So I dropped out in grade 10. And so I just didn't have any qualifications that you really need, even though I've been to the UN, spoke at the UN, sat in meetings with ministers from Canada and, uh, government officials from Canada and and sitting in, in meetings where policy was being made and and still that was not enough and so I went back to school and that's what led me to go further my education and it's something I've always wanted to do just never thought I would ever never ever 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 thought I would be able to do that just because I dropped out of high school and yeah that that's my story <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing you know um you've just the 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 beginnings and how you all got you know how you got encouraged how you had support and also the tragedy right mm -hmm. that you experience um among all of that and how that can also serve as motivation um so tell us a little bit more about your single parent being a single parent and being a student, um, what has your experience been with, you know, with this, you know, role in your life and, and also maneuvering college and has the university supported your needs or what ways would you wish the university staff and faculty could better support students, student parents and especially single parents? Yeah. So thanks for that. I think one of every, with all the titles that you see in my bio and everything, the first thing I always say is I'm, I'm a mom first and foremost, and that's, you know, I may not be the most perfect mom. Um, I may not be um, the most patient mom sometimes, but uh, that's something I am so grateful for that I've been able to uh, be blessed with two beautiful, healthy children and um, to be able to have them a part of my life. I had them when I was really young, I was 19. So I had my first when I was 19 and my that's my uh, oldest, his name is Trey. And he's he just turned 10 and my youngest, Ayana, I had her when I was 21. So it was kind of like a, uh, my peers were just starting university or starting their careers and and I'm at, I'm starting I'm in a whole different part of my uh, journey and so I became a young mom and I think that also brings challenges as well um, all, I, although I don't regret any of it I just saying that like while you're raising your children you're also growing up yourself being a young parent and so I think I didn't realize that until you know maybe last year and and realizing wow I've done a lot of growing up since 
I became a mom and I was like, and my kids didn't even realize, well, I'm raising them. They're also watching me grow up as a, as a, a woman, you know, I was a quite a young woman when I had them and, and that journey, um, <clears throat> was not what I expected it to be as well too. Uh, I became a single mom at 25. So, and that was another, uh, another, um, I guess, momentum for me to get into advocacy work because um, I, I did feel that sense of being alone, not being supported and uh, being a single mom. And it just happened. I just left the relationship and I, I needed something, I needed a purpose and I, and that's how, what led me into advocacy work and that really helped healed me and help, well, I was doing all this good work and volunteering, it was really healing me inside and just being able to do something because it, I don't want to say it took my, distracted me, I did have to heal from my past relationship, but um, it did help me find my purpose in life and I, and I'm so grateful for that. And so after all those years of uh, advocacy work and volunteering, and which I'm grateful for, because if once I entered into university, <clears throat> I was 26, 27, 26, I can't remember, 27, I think. And I was considered a mature student. <laughs> and and uh, I was able to enter university without being having my uh, grade 12 because of the mature student status, which I'm grateful for. I think that's such a, um, I never knew of that. So I wish they would, they would uh, promote that more. So more uh, indigenous students, because we have a high rate of dropouts within in the indigenous community. And so that, that weighs on, like that weighed on my shoulder of being like, well, I dropped out of high school. How am I gonna handle university? Like, that's not a thing, but you mature and you grow up and you experience life and you get to find out what you like and what you don't like. And when you get to university, you're able to uh, learn about things that you like and want to learn more about. So I think that really helped me getting into university because I sat there at the academic advisor's desk and being a first generation student, university student, no clue what this institution, how this institution worked, how, what, programs they offer, what words I was supposed to use, what questions I was supposed to ask. So my um, first interview with my academic advisor was like, basically, she was like, well, what do you want to do? And, and that question reminded me of being like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, this is what I've done. And I basically said in my bio what I've done. And I was like, this is kind of where I want to go. And I don't know what programs they are. And so she's like, oh, it sounds like you want to be a social worker. I was like, no, I know what the social work program is. And I think it's an amazing program, um, but it just wasn't for me. And I was like, no, that's not what I want to be. And I definitely felt stereotyped in that moment at that office because uh, because a lot of Indigenous people become social workers for many, many reasons, but I just... I felt like just because I was Indigenous, she was like, oh, right away, you want to be a social worker. And I was like, no, no, no. And then we only had 20 minutes. And I feel like it's just one of those shoots where you get the students in and get them out, get them in, get them out. And so I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. And she was like, okay, well, our 20 minutes is up. You're going to have to book another 20 minutes. And I next time went in and 
we had the same conversation and it ended it at the same spot a social worker and I was like that's not what I want to do and so third time around she finally brings up the the discipline of sociology and explains it to me and I was like that's like oh I just immediately felt that connection I was like that's what I want to do that's where I need to be that's what I want to study but I sat there and I was like man if I was you know, a kid, 18, 19, coming fresh out of high school and sat in that office with that academic advisor. And she said, and I told her what I wanted to do. And she said, oh, social worker. I would have trusted her in her in knowledge in, in university and, and students and said, great, that's what I, I guess that's what I want to do. And so I, um, I feel like there, uh, there is a, there should be more uh, supports uh, for Indigenous students in that aspect, especially coming from an Indigenous advisor. I wish more uh, universities would um, have uh, academic advisors for Indigenous students and so that they're just, I feel like there's this, uh, this stereotype where they just fit every Indigenous student into one area and they, and there's, unless you know about it, they just, they don't, they just kind of lead you in one direction. So uh, that was, that was one of the challenging things to me. But, um, <clears throat> but once I started university, uh, being a first generation student, I didn't know what to expect, what it was going to look like. And I had support, thank goodness. My mom uh, was a huge support in the beginning, my first year, and I, I really appreciated that. And my second year she was uh, a good support too but my like third year being with COVID and stuff now and no childcare and everything it's been really challenging uh, but one of the the struggles that I uh, definitely felt like um, as a single parent or even a caregiver in general a caregiver who is a student uh, whether you're taking care of your parents or, you know, you're taking care of a sibling or you're taking care of your own children or grandparents and you're a student in university. Um, I think the one of the advantages that our peers or our colleagues or other students have is time. And, and that's where I felt, uh, um, what's the word the, what's the word I want to use I don't want to say defeated but like I just felt like I was always just lagging a little bit because of my time and uh, especially alternative learning method which is all online now and uh, I feel like I was a, a good student in class because I'm able to sit here and have these conversations with you and and uh and it was scheduled out and my kids were at school and but now it's just a different reality and I just feel like a lot of my peers had that advantage on me was time and um, time to write a better paper time to read more time to really uh, absorb the, the material that they were learning and I'm not trying to use it as an excuse or anything it just was something my reality was was like oh I just don't have the time and I think that's a lot of students feel that and then when I would show up to class because some days my kids there is a pro d day and I had to be in class and my kids would be with me and and I was always the oldest one in the class and I was 
the only parent in the class sometimes and, and my kids would tag along as a, a single parent and they'd be sitting beside me and you know the class is like oh they're so cute like that's amazing and then when we leave they're like oh my god I can't believe you're a student and you're you ha you have two kids and you're doing this I they're like I am like at, like living in my dorm and like I feel like I could barely keep my head above water how do you do it and I think it's just one of those things you just do, right? I think as a parent, it's just, you get, just keep going, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And so um, I think one of the things that I, uh, I would want our professors, instructors and, and the university and, and uh, institutions that uh, teach and make create spaces for um, caregivers to learn is to um, be mindful of, of the time that they have to contribute to some of their work, you know? Like, um, you know, they, they probably wrote their best paper they could that, that week with the time that they had. And if they had an extra four more hours that week to give to that paper, I'm sure it would have been a little bit better. That's the, the examples I could give and to be a little bit more considerate of that when grading. I'm not asking for more time. I'm not asking for like a, a little more of a, uh, leniency I'm just asking to be a little bit more mindful in consideration of those of those circumstances and so um, yeah I think my university uh, is is um, good in that sense like they allow me to bring my kids in when you know when I have no other options um, and they they were they were great in that sense and I and I appreciate that yeah, universities in general are too far behind. And that's the thing that Ariana and I have been mentioning. It's like, they're so old school. They're so slow at really catching up on like the new, like student, like the new traditional student coming into the school yes. has a whole different reality than what they were used to when they went to school. So I think the fact that a lot of faculty think that, you know, by providing more work, by providing busy work at most times, especially at the beginning of your college trajectory, it is and it feels like busy work um, that you could have, you know, easily done or changed in the way that you could learn. I think I'm a huge advocate. I'm like where you could use either TikToks, social media, tweets, something a little bit easier and more digestible to learn something as opposed to having to read, you know, a huge novel or a book that is going to take longer to get to the conversation. And also the curriculum isn't relevant to a lot of students who are in those classrooms that, you know, you, you oftentimes I'm like, I, when I was in English classes, it's like you had to learn a lot about the white man's angst and, you know, dilemmas that they had in their life. I was like, I really can't relate, you know, to a lot of the things that they had because of so many identities that I didn't have and didn't grow up with. So it's so interesting, like once you have a lot of work experience, volunteer, even your own life reflected and you're learning about this disciplines, it's a little bit even more challenging because the things that you believe in, the things that you wanna change in the field doesn't really give you the tools to learn about it. Um, unless you speak with, you know, again, community members, um, how you're mentioning like the elders in your life that have 
seen the potential in you had been in some ways the mentors in your life that I think in that interaction that you had with your advisor didn't feel the same way as opposed to seeing you who you are as a person they're projecting onto this one thing that you they want you to be as a student because it's so much easier to say yeah be what you I want you to be because it's so much easier because I see a ton of students go through that route um, then having to do something different where you have so many different passions that, I mean, that's the reason I'm assuming why you did double major because those two disciplines have been informing you and what you've been wanting to do long-term as a career. I think that's even harder uh, for students that just don't fit the tradition or the kind of curriculum or the way that they want you to uh, experience college and you're a little bit outside of the box. Um, you kind of have to build your own experience and try to make it work for yourself um, as opposed to the university kind of molding to you where they can provide different avenues and give you those resources. Because I think, especially when you're mentioning about being a single parent, like going through your own experience, I think, again, like even in my own advising appointments, how that is virtual, I've heard a ton of kids or parent, like uh, students, kids in the background and how difficult it has been even for siblings to take care of younger siblings because of the whole work economy issue. Um, and the fact that you are a student yourself, but also a teacher to other you know, people in your household and how difficult that is to also not only advocate for yourself, but advocate for, for you know, the people that, you're, that, that are dependent to you and that are counting on you to also advocate. So it, it's just like you're pulled in different directions and especially through COVID, I, I can imagine that it has been even more difficult to kind of separate and have your own individuality um, and your own space to just kind of process. Because I think that has been pretty like helpful for students to have their own me time in college while they can focus on themselves and have interactions with their age or people similar to their age. Um, but now you're, you're hanging out with younger children <laughs> around you, uh, which can be pretty difficult and, and not normal to have to be interacting with, you know, small children all the time. And how we're mentioning a lot of COVID has brought to this strenuous thing where it's like, yes, you love the people that you live with, but also you need me time within that space. So tell us about how COVID has changed a lot of your experience um, now that you're still continuing on as a student virtually. So that shift is, I'm still adjusting, like the whole world is adjusting. Um, it's been, as a parent, uh, ha a single parent, been really um, mentally exhausting uh, and emotionally draining. Um, I had my days where I felt like I was failing as a parent because I mentioned before I'm not the most perfect mom and I'm I'm not the most patient mom and uh, I do have my my days where I feel guilty because I've lost my patience because like we're all and I get it like I'm sure they're sick of me too like trust me like I know and they're like can we go to grandma's like and it's like okay I guess you need a break from me too and I totally understand that like I respect their spaces and and I've always told my family, like friends and family, and I, something I learned from my, my older sister, Daylin, who is a mother, and she was a young mom too. She's like, this home is not my home, this is my son's home. And that's something I, I 
took with me a, a teaching with me. I'm like, yeah, this is not my home. This is my kids' home. This is where I, I create a safe space for them where they're allowed to do what, like be themselves and feel safe to be themselves in this home. And so now that it's their home and I'm in it all the time and it's been really, uh, really hard to maneuver through. And I think when we made that, you know, that day and night shift from uh, being in class to being online was like, whew, like it was, it was hard. And I know it wasn't just only hard on students, it was hard on the, the faculty and the instructors. Like I could sense their, their stress as well too. And, and I was sympathizing with that. So I was like, okay, I just got to do my work so they could do their work and it, just make it flow. Right. But it was, it was challenging and, and to do that, to keep my end of the bargain, because I just, there was just so much going on at home. And so I can give an example um, in this list last semester, fall 2020 semester, I was going to say 2019, 2020 semester. Um, my kids, went back to school part-time because they went to a private school. They weren't in the, the public school system and the private school, it's an arm reserve school. So it's a, for, it's an indigenous school and how they, uh, their safety measures was to split the school in half. And so group one went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, clean the school. Group two went Thursday, Friday. And so I was like, okay, they're going to be gone for two days out of the, the week. I have class all week, all day. I'm like, how are we going to do this? The first week went pretty good. You know, I, I was able to grapple it. And then once things started piling on, piling on, piling on, piling on, and my kids were home and that's just wasn't a, a thing for them to be, see me sit behind my computer all day. So I literally was in a, in a, mental space where I was like, if I'm being a good student, that means I'm not being a good mom. Because if I'm being a good student, I'm at my desk behind my computer. And that's all I do all day. But if I'm being a good mom, I'm, I'm cleaning, I'm, you know, taking the kids outside for a bit, I'm cooking for them. And, and that in itself does take up the majority of the day, you know, and so I was like, Oh, how do I do this? And so and there's no daycare where I'm at for my kids. And so it was just the school that they would go for five, six hours a day and come home. And, and they only did that two days out of the week. And so I had to, uh, you know, tell my teachers, like, this is, this is what's happening. I've been, I'm drowning, trying to keep my head above water with this, this whole new system. And, and, um, I ended up having to uh, a deferred grade. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that that terminology. Uh, I had first time in my life ever in my academic career life. I like I've always considered myself a good student. I, I strive to keep the GPA high. Never missed an assignment. Never missed class. Like I've never missed an exam ever. I have a good academic history. And then this last semester was like, I, I hope that in my transcripts, it says COVID semester stamp decided because it was brutal. It was so brutal. And I, I definitely uh, felt, felt like I dropped the ball, not only as a student, but as a mom too. And that's where it really hit the hardest was that it, I, was, it, I dropped the ball at being a mom. And so that's where it just, I 
had to really think about what my options were going to be and if I wanted to um, continue with school and or wait until school went back to classes and so I decided to continue with school that's something I just you know picked myself back off off the ground dust myself off and and keep trucking along and and uh, it's been a learning experience definitely and I not only for myself but for my kids as well and so my beginning of my uh first year in my undergrad I told myself I was like I realized how much you know being a student in general you you're sacrificing a lot like any student you're, you sacrifice your 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 uh, social life you, you give a lot of sacrifices to be able to achieve this uh, this goal that you want for yourself. And um, lots of people, I, I never realized that until becoming a student myself. And so when I became a student, I realized what I was sacrificing, but I'm also a mom. And so I realized what my kids were sacrificing. And so when I was, you know, I didn't have a vehicle and I was using public transit for a while to go, go back and forth from school. And and I'm grateful that we I had that option and was able to get myself back and forth through school. And my kids would be on the bus with me trucking along. And and I sat there and looked at them and I was like, wow, like they're also sacrificing too, you know, it's their day off from school and here I'm lugging them to another school. And I was like, this is not my, just my degree. Like this is their degree too. Like they also have put in so much work into it. And so even now with COVID, they've put in just as much work into this degree as much as I have. And so it's um, something that I, I definitely feel like it's a, a community, like it's a community thing, like for both me and the kids. So I'm grateful that they, sorry, it's my birthday. So I'm getting all these messages, like non text messages. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's, a sacrifice both my kids and I've made. And when I finally get that diploma in my hand, it's something that I will be giving to my kids as well too. being like, look, we did it, not mom, but we, like we did it together and thank you so much. And let's go to law school now. Like that's how it's gonna be. And, and I'm really excited for our journey together. And I'm so grateful for um, what they've given up as well too, you know, like, I sometimes couldn't sign them up for soccer or, you know, recreational sports because I literally would look at my schedule and be like, I don't think I, I have the, the availability to do that this, this season. And so <clears throat> they've given up a lot too. So I'm grateful for that. And, and I owe them so much. And so um, when I get the degree, it's us graduating, not just me. <laughs> Yeah. And even in COVID, I think that has been a pretty big trend with a lot of students is figuring out if they can do another semester virtually or if they could postpone their graduation just because of the amount of level of work that they've had to do and the guilt that they have of not being able to perform, you know, their kind of goals and their milestones at the time that they wanted. And I often tell them and had to remind them and if any of the our listeners are in that same position or predicament is really think about how it would be like towards the that end of the semester the end of that quarter whatever that term is how do you want to feel and how like what are the opportunity you know that you're either giving up or getting 
from any of the decisions. And I think the best thing that a lot of students could do is maybe give themselves a semester off because I, you know, you have to kind of put it together in terms of how well are you going to do your class in your classes? How much are you having on your plate? How much can you realistically feel like you're going to be able to do at that time? And I'm um, like taking a break, taking a leave of absence, doing whatever it needs to do is sometimes a blessing as well, because it gives you an opportunity to rest. It gives you an opportunity to kind of get your life together or, you know, just getting things together in that time to prepare either the people around you to that next step that you will take, especially for any graduating seniors. I think that is a stage where I'm like delaying a semester a year in your graduation is an opportunity for you to enhance that you know, experience to really solidify and affirm if this is really what you want to do long term, especially those that are thinking about going to grad school. I think that it just allows and affords an opportunity for you to connect more with people who are going to write you letters of recommendation, you know, like it's just there to enhance the next step as opposed to, you know, flipping it and thinking that it's going to do a setback. Um, because a lot of us who have spent a long time doing, you know, college, have the pressure of our families to finish uh, because they want you, us to earn money. They want us to be just done, you know, with school, uh, with a lot of the work that it does take for us to prepare professionally. Um, and on top of academically, one thing is done and then you do the other. But unfortunately, that doesn't work out if you want to do grad school because it's just another continuous stage that you're going to be in. And, you know, that, that's just the reality. And so for anybody who's, you know, just gonna, your plans have just been scrapped by COVID. I think that is part of the resiliency that we build is just knowing that it's gonna look a little bit different. It's gonna take us some time to just adjust to the new changes, but it's, it's nothing impossible or nothing, you know, you don't know what kind of blessings could bring with those changes that you have coming up. Because as you mentioned, a lot of us, any life decision that we make affects a ton of people in our circle. Um, and some of us just don't have it, you know, in us anymore to continuously to live the way that we used to live, um, pre-COVID to try to replicate it online and virtually is just not possible for many students. And so there, everyone's on the same predicament of like, should I, what, what do I put off because of how bad you feel about, you know, dropping the ball in any other aspect of your life? I think we do end up for most of us going to grad school end up like our social life ends up plummeting, you know, and, and reasons why a lot of us have mental health, like even like our mental health just exponentially goes worse <laughs> as we get to the next stage. I mean, in undergrad, I can imagine it could be just as difficult in, in a different sense um, as we're doing virtual, virtual school. Yeah, Nikki, um... Thank you for sharing those experiences with us. And I think a lot of parents out there who are students who are thinking of going back to school or who are, you know, have doubting whether or not they should go um, can take into consideration, you know, the gifts that you will, you know, as you graduate, as you progress, that you'll be giving, you know, the children, your family, how it will enhance everyone's lives, just as it affects it and also enhances it. Um, so with, with regards to law school, you mentioned that that's what you're looking into and, um, what are you hoping to accomplish with that degree or what was the initial, what was the, what 
inspired you to go into that field or eventually go into that field? Well, thanks uh, for the question. I think that's uh, law school. Um, I've been I've been uh, working in places where policy really has an effect on Indigenous people and how policy uh, is written has an effect on Indigenous people and their communities, whether it's individually or collectively. And, um, and the dynamics of policy really uh, um, I don't want to say I don't. I'm trying to look for the word that's not neg negative, but also it shows my frustration. Um, uh, I guess it like there's policy that is written that frustrates me. How it the dynamics of being on reserve, off reserve, Indigenous, are rural, are urban Indigenous, and how there's just so many components and dynamics where um, a lot of people fall through the cracks and that's just something I do not like and I was one of those people that you know have constantly been falling through the cracks as an Indigenous young person and so uh, and if it wasn't for you know people who believed in me and seen the potential in me I would have been I would have stayed in those cracks and and lived my life in those cracks and can and never uh wanted to do anything because I felt like the system just was made for me to not be successful. And so, and those systems have policies that, you know, are roadblocks, are barriers to our people. And so that's why I wanted to go into law school and, and, and learn law and, and be a part of, of policy change and make, make policies not me, but design and help design policies with the people, for the people, and and with their voices included. I think a lot of my advocacy work uh, was never me being the voice. My advocacy work was me saying, "We need more voices here." Me is just not enough. Like, uh, we why am I the only one? Like, thank you for let, letting me be here and, and being able to give some input. I'm just letting you know that I'm, I don't represent all voices. And I, I think that's something that I always said at, at, at my, uh, any kind of uh, conversation or speaking engagement was uh, people, I had a lot of people say this too, uh, to me as well, was like, oh, you're, you're the voice. And, and I'm like, oh, I never, that never felt, felt right for me. I, they're like, oh, you're the voice of the people who don't have voices. And I'm like, oh, they have a voice though. It's just there. There's so many things blocking their voices. You know, there's so many people, so many policies, so many barriers that they're unable to exercise their voice, use their voice. They have a voice. It's not that they don't. They don't have a voice, or they're the voiceless. They have a voice. Let's clear all of that. Let's allow them to have this space. You know, like um, I'll. And my, that's a whole reason for my advocacy work was to bring different uh, perspectives in the indigenous community, knowing that, you know, in BC alone, in my province in Canada, there's um, over 200 First Nation bands and there's over three, 36 nations within just my little province in Canada alone. And so when you say First Nations in BC, well, what First Nations group are you talking about? And if you only, they're like, okay, we have a First Nations representative from BC, but where in BC? 
like there's rural BC, urban BC, you know, like that, that one First Nations voice. Yeah, that's important. That individual's voice is so important, so valid. Uh, but we also need a diverse collective voice. And that's what brought me to law school is to, to bring those voices to the forefront and, and to ensure more voices aren't left behind and that they're included. And so I feel like my whole academic career is based on um, being of service for our people, being of service in any capacity that I can be. And I think it's such an honor to be able, if I do get that um, opportunity to work and be of service to Indigenous people uh, in Canada, I think I, I'd be privileged and honored to be able to do that. So that's what led me to law school and I'm really excited. I think, uh, what Pat said before in the beginning of being able to take a break um, and and to acknowledge that you know what you're what you're able to do what you might not be able to do for your own your own health and stuff I I was really had that option to take a, a, a medical leave from my studies because I'm a fully funded student here in Canada. So I'm really grateful. That's a privilege in itself, you know, but it's also a job being funded and being sponsored. You have that pressure to maintain a certain grade point average. You don't have an option. You have to have, like, if you're being funded, you have to, you know, maintain that grade point average. There's no slacking. And there's also, you're also supposed to take a minimum of four classes. And that's it. Like you can't, like, I don't have that flexibility being a, a sponsored student and I'm not like, and I try not to complain at all because I realize how lucky I am, how blessed I am to be able to A, be in school, go to university, um, uh, have a university that's like, I live on reserve. So have a university that's literally a 10 minute drive from my community. And, uh, and be able to be sponsored for that. And so I always, that's, you know, although I'm very grateful and that's a blessing, it's also that pressure to be like, okay, you gotta be on your end game. And there's so many complexities when it comes to being a, a sponsored student uh, that there's components of being like keeping your grades high, taking minimum classes. And if you decide to take a break, your funding might not be there next time you go. So there's that pressure to continue going. And that's, um, you know, was one of my momentums to keep going and not take a break because I didn't want to lose that support. But I also um, looked at my kids and remembered why I wanted to do this and why I want to continue and what, what the bigger picture is for me. And the bigger picture for me is to go to law school, to work for my people and, and to build a better life for me and my children. That has always been my why. And so when I feel like I'm struggling and really, you know, like, why, why am I putting myself through this? Like, why am I mentally like exhausting myself, you know, and emotionally exhausting myself for, for school online right now. And then I just really have to take that moment to take, take a step back and, and remember my whys. And, and those are my whys, my kids and my people and what I, what I wanna do. I, I, have, I, I feel like my purpose in life is to, to be able to help indigenous people all around the world in any capacity that I can. And I don't, that for me, if that means, you know, in the back behind the scenes, I'm totally okay with that. As long as I'm a part of 
the proactive movement to better our people. That's wonderful, Nikki. Um, thank you for sharing that those reminders, right, when we're facing uh, a difficult time in studying or want to give up, right? Um, um, and also, I wanted to wish you happy birthday. Um, I wanted to say that at the beginning, but waiting for the end to say that and to thank you for spending, you know, some time of your day with us, especially on your special day and um, really grateful for for your presence and for sharing your knowledge with us uh, at Chicanas Code Switchers. And we hope that the that this episode is uh, helpful for our listeners. Yes, and you know, I think you are setting an example for your kids of knowing how to time manage early in academia. So, you know, in that in that sense, it, it has been helpful just because, you know, for for some of us, especially like my parents never went to school past high school either. So it's that's the part where um, you're letting them know, like, you can have your own life, you can have your own dreams, you know, you can have all these goals, and this is how you're managing. I mean, you're showing them an example of how to manage all of those things together, because they're going to be pulled in many different directions as well. And so, you know, as tough of a situation it is, you're, you're telling them how to react in, that, in those situations. And, you know, you're a really big example, you've done really amazing things. Don't let academia, you know, help, you know, kill that spirit of your and your intention of what you you came in the, in the the first time you came into the university so we're so proud of you and that in that journey that you're in um you know more to come for you uh, in your uh, towards the end once you end up going into grad school and law school and things like that and one one person you know moving on is you know a big opening door for other people coming down as they're they're doing their journey so Thank you so much, Nikki, for coming in and being such a, an amazing example of, you know, what it's like to be in the space um, and, you know, and in, in how things are handled in Canada versus U.S. is a whole different discussion, but I think you're going to be doing great and thank you so much. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think uh, to leave it on a good note, I think that's really uh, important because my one of my elders told me because I was really struggling and, and uh, questioning my whole academic decision. And she said the same thing, You're, remember who's watching you and who's witnessing this and it's my kids and you're right. And it's when I am working on opening this door for our family and breaking those intergenerational uh, traumas and cycles, those negative cycles of, you know, um, yeah, just those negative cycles uh, and opening a new door for a fresh start, leaving that door open so that my kids can one day go go through that door and so on and so forth. And I think that's such a good reminder about remembering who's watching you, especially to those parents that are that are students that are listening right now is being, I think that was one of the things that hit close to home when she said that. She's like, remember who's watching you. And that's all she said. It was this most gentle voice. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I like start crying and I'm like, yeah, they are watching me. And they're, you know, they're probably going to remember all of this experience and whether good or bad, it's going to, it's going to be uh, a great teaching lesson for them as well too. So I hope the listeners uh, enjoyed our conversation and I'm so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you guys. Thank you. And um, that ends our 
episodes. I'm going to actually stop the recording here. In today's BIPOC business shout out, we would like to highlight a small business called Bay with a Dream that was created to inspire babes to proudly wear what they believe in. Babe with a Dream believes in the power of sisterhood, honoring the magic of motherhood, and being a babe who supports other babes. Their goal is to create a product that makes the women proud of who they are and to honor their journey so far. Jessica, the babe behind the brand, is an apparel designer turned stay-at-home mom and entrepreneur. She created Babe with a Dream to empower and encourage her girlfriends to pursue their dreams and support each other's endeavors. She is obsessed with the 70s and this self-proclaimed disco queen pays homage to the strong woman of that era with sayings of empowerment, sisterhood, and girl power. Babe with a Dream is a testament to truly understanding your purpose and wholeheartedly pursuing your passions. Get connected with them at Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and at babewithadream.com. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business conference and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Chicana Code Switchers and on Twitter at X Code Switchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or Cash app us at Chicana Code Switchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you. And don't forget, switch the code. Don't let the code switch you.